everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 119th episode of Make Ours Marvel, which is a podcast journey through all of the Marvel superhero universe adventures from the beginning until we don't. So today we are starting in the happy month, the... Uh, Oh, it's the merry month of March. I was going to say the frolicsome month of February, but no, it's March Ooh, now. We're in March. Yeah. Merry Marvel in March. So Thor 128 is going to be our starting place. We also have Tales to Astonish 80, Sergeant Fury 30, and Strange Tales 145. Ooh. Double dose of Nick tonight. Oh, that's always fun. That keeps happening. That's how that works. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess they're both in the same week uh-huh. now, and yep. I don't know. That's all right. It's kind of interesting. Jump from one to the other. All right. So um, I don't think we have any preliminaries. Not that we hardly ever do have any preliminaries, because it's not like we're talking about news or anything. It's no, 1966. No. Because for all we know, they're listening to this six years from now, so the news wouldn't be relevant anyway. Right, but the comics still are, or as much as they ever were. Also, there's no comic news that I can think of because I think right now comics are just shut down, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I think so. I think there's still digital releases. I think that both companies have started releasing digitally again. I think there Uh are new comics, but I don't know that for certain. And there's no new movies really. Nope. New mutants is, is a couple of not comic (laughs) specials away. No, it's not. I don't believe it anymore. (laughs) We're never going to see that movie. (laughs) <laughs> we finally get oh you know what though with all the flare-ups again that have been happening because mm-hmm. we're recording this on june 30th and like states are states that had opened up are shutting back down again yep so who knows we may get to the end of august and no longer have a movie that's right <sighs> anyways <laughs> but we have old comics so let's do that we have the god of thunder and the son of zeus i feel like that's weird because Zeus is also the god of thunder. Oh, good point. So this is like one god and his son from another Should mythology. I, son of. Speaking of, I just want to get this out of the way real fast. We could talk about this book after you summarize it. But you know, last time we covered this book, we went on and on and on about how they use Pluto instead of Hades. Right. You know what else they do? They use Hercules instead of Heracles or whatever. So duh. Oh, Heracles, you're right. So, like, the whole thing is Roman and Greek swapping around, and who cares, I guess. We, we cared about that way too much, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think Hercules is kind of like nuclear. Like, it just got switched so much that no one ever actually thinks about Heracles anymore, unless you want to get, like, super specific in the Greek. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah. The power of Pluto to bark and wag his tail and be Mickey's best friend. <laughs> Aww. Why do they? Why does he? Why does he pronounce Pluto? Oh, Pluto, right? Pluto, Pluto. I mean, it's the same spelling. It's kind of the same just, spelling. Yeah. We turned that T into a D because we're English. That's what we do. Because he's so doughy looking. I don't know. Okay. At last, mighty Thor has redeemed himself in the eyes of his royal father Odin by defeating the evil Sadring. But even a god can be injured by bolts of fundamental energy, such as those which the desperate traitor has hurled at the immortal Avenger. Some really purple text there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thor's in bed. He's super tired after his fight, and he is resting up. He is exhausted physically. All of his godly strength has been drained. So he's resting up and 
drinking chicken soup and all that other good stuff you're supposed to do to feel better. Conceived in grandeur and produced in glory by Stan Lee writer, Jack Kirby penciler, Vince Coletta inker, Artie Simic letterer, verily we have spoken. And everyone, while Thor's trying to sleep, everyone's like, y'all, stop talking. Thor's trying to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> be quiet, everybody. He's sleeping. So, yeah, that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, Odin shows up and he's like, how's my son? He's like, well, he's super tired and exhausted, but he's all right. Odin goes to his throne room, brings in Sadring, the traitor. He's like, you're such a traitor. And Sadring's like, I'm so sorry, I was a traitor. He's like, be gone, traitor. So Sadring gets banished to this, like, uh, land of trolls and he has to rule over them forever. So he's been like banished for eternity for this one mistake. Um, meanwhile, Hercules arrives in Hollywood because that's a thing that's going on right now. And the guy who's been like bringing him from New York on the train and everything is like, Hey, check out this studio. And Hercules is like, wow, this thing's been done up my own, like my own native Olympus. That's pretty great. And studio guy's like, yeah, and here's your leading lady. And this woman approaches dressed as Hippolyta. She's like, hey, big boy. And he's like, hey, big girl. And uh, they're talking and, you know, flirting. And um, then let's see. There is a creature who shows up to, like, play fight with Thor- uh, Hercules. And Hercules punches him. And we hear somebody say, this is your screen test, Thor. And then the monster disappears and a fire shows up in its place and the fire dissipates and the producer is there. He's got his like sunglasses and demonic mustache and Hercules is like, hey, what's up? I'm Hercules. And um, so they go to dinner and while they're having their Hollywood dinner, we go back to Thor. Now Thor is still super exhausted, but he's got to do some hunting, you know, so he's going to do some hunting. He's He's in his bed in a tent that is also on a mobile sled because, you know, rich people, am I right? And he has his rifle. He's like shooting out the window at the giant immortal, I don't know, creatures. And uh, he's able to handle the rifle recoil with strength and everything, but he upsets the creatures. And so they start attacking his tent sled and Baldur's there. And he's like, you got to protect Thor. And so they're all fighting off the monsters. Meanwhile, back in Hollywood, leading lady Hippolyta is having dinner with Hercules. And while they're having their dinner, the producer comes up and says, oh, by the way, while you're doing this, can you just sign the contract for your employment for the movie? And Hercules is like, sure, whatever. Give me my thumb. And he puts his thumb on the thing, and suddenly the producer's like, oh my gosh, you signed it of your own free will. I've won. And all of the shenanigans fall apart. The producer is really Pluto, the god of the underworld. The leading lady, Hippolyta, is really Hippolyta. And um, Pluto's like, you just signed the contract saying that you'll take over Hades for me. And Hercules is like, say what? So the floor falls away and there's a spiral staircase going down into the pits of hell. Um, more of those monsters show up to capture Hercules. Uh, Hercules fights them. We go back to Asgard and Thor is like having battles and like building his strength back up. And he goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I think I'm all better now. I was like, it pleases me to see my son. Thor says, so since you're happy with me, since you're in a good mood and all that, can I have a favor, please? I was like, what is your favor? And he's like, I gotta go see Jane. I mean, I'm never gonna be happy in, until I until I see her. No, it's not Jane. Mm-mm. 
crap. He wants to go fight Hercules. Yep. <laughs> Who cares about Jane? Jane. Forget he doesn't need to go follow his love. He needs to go beat up the guy that beat him up. That's right. And I was like, yes, full well do I know the anger that rages in your soul because it's all my fault. So go fight him. Do it. Do me proud. So Thor flies off in a fireball to Hercules, who's in Hollywood fighting a whole bunch of uh, Plutovian monsters. And Thor's like, oh my gosh, why is Hercules fighting all these monsters? I don't know, but it's a whole bunch against one. So I'm just going to join the underdog. And even though I came to beat up Hercules, I'm going to help him. So they start fighting, fighting, fighting. And um, Pluto's like, oh, they're fighting. Hippolyta, we got to get out of here. So Thor and Hercules beat up all the monsters. They totally trash the studio. And Hercules is like, he took the contract. He's going to take it to my dad. I'm going to have to rule his underworld empire forever. What am I going to do? And Thor's like, what? Were you stupid enough to actually sign that thing? He tricked me. Yeah, well, um, I guess you're going to have to go face your terrible fate. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to walk away and let my cape flow in the wind. <laughs> and um, that's the end. Next issue, the verdict is Zeus. Yep. Cool issue. It was a pretty cool issue, and I thought that the back and forth was, like, not excessive. It was, like, just the right amount. Yeah. I was, like, not sure if I was going to love the whole Thor recovery thing, but it actually was pretty fun. Didn't bug me at all. In fact, it was kind of neat to see him, like, doing Asgardian things that aren't related to, like, stopping Asgard from being destroyed or something, you know? Right. Like, he's never just hung in Asgard yet because he's always on Earth. At least in our in our present-day stories. And we've, right. we've seen his older stories and. Yeah, yeah. Usually he's like adventuring and whatever, but here he's totally just chilling out being Thor mm-hmm. in his sick bed. And yeah, I guess when you're sick, going, you got to uh, hunt and, and joust on the log and stuff. Going uh, real rifle fishing. I don't know what these fish are called, but something. Oh, yeah, that was his real rifle. It's like he's shooting a fishing reel. Seemed like more technologically advanced than I'd give Asgard credit for. But at the same time, Asgard is technologically advanced, but we just don't think of them that way. So it works. Right, right. They're like this weird mixture of mm-hmm. fa- uh, like medieval fantasy, but also space god sorcery. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Dr. Doom would love it there. <laughs> I wonder if he's ever been there. I think he has. Anyway. And also the druid. Don't forget the druid. Oh, and the druid, yeah. Don't you love whenever the guy is shouting for everyone to be quiet so you can sleep? <laughs> and how about that bed frame? Jeez, that's not pretentious or anything. Oh, the, the head in his, bo- uh, his bed? <laughs> It's oh like my gosh. When you're at Rosso's Furniture, have you ever seen a bed? A bed? I'll, I'll take that one, honey. That one looks pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, I like to imagine that like, the bed that he's on there is the same bed he's real rifle fishing from. Like It has oh. a canopy and, and they like, carry it onto the sled, just like take it away. So he never actually gets up. It's the same color. Could be. Do you think Balder changes his bedpan? Uh, wow. Is he that sick? I hope not. I don't know. I don't know either. You know, he made a joke, though. On page seven, I think, if the son of Odin cannot fire a mere real rifle at an armored beast fish, then Thor is a sorry thunder god indeed. Ho, ho. That's funny. That is pretty funny. For Thor. Well, don't upset the beast fish. They will kill you. And of course it almost does. Um, so, um, we, so we had this thing like, is the guy who's recruiting Hercules in on Pluto's scheme? But now I think no, because he doesn't even believe the Hercules is Hercules. Right. Yeah. He's totally just like a Hollywood, you know, glad handing dandy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only ones who were in on this were Pluto and Hippolyta. Yeah. So either they've been watching Hercules and waiting for the right moment to like infiltrate humanity or they somehow like convince this guy to go after Hercules without him knowing it or something. You know how gods are. One of those two things. They definitely are. 
Um, okay, so page 10. Uh-huh. Pluto's like, here, let me remove these worthless glasses. Now look into my eyes and tell me what you behold. Now, like, okay, see, glasses are a good disguise. Well, says he has no pupils, apparently. Did we know that last issue? We haven't seen Pluto's eyes until Okay. Then. Well, if you look at page 15, I mean, the coloring's all green, but, like, that's how he looks. So, yeah, kind of hard to pass as a human, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Um, I like that Hercules did at least read the contract. I mean, he fell for the stupid excuse. But he's like, what's this? It does say that I'm to rule the netherworld for all eternity. That's weird. And Pluto's like, oh, oh that's no. True. He does, like, see it. And Pluto's yeah. just like, no, no, it's just the story. That's, that's what the story's about. That's why we have to put that in the contract. Oh, okay. Volstag was in the main story. He's the guy that Thor oh, was, like, uh, practice yeah. fighting with. They were totally going Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, on this log with uh, Thor and Volstag. He also jokes again. But he also, he always jokes with Volstag, so never mind. Volstag is a rock, a mountain, which none can topple. Then truly, a miracle is now upon us. As he topples Volstag. <laughs> that's awesome. I think this is the first time that Volstag is in the main story. Yeah. Maybe the first time that any of the Warriors 3 gets acknowledged in the main story. I believe you are right. That's pretty cool. I didn't think about that. Um, and Thor gets his power back, if we care. He does. Um, we don't what? necessarily see it happen, but they talk no. about the fact that he has it back and yeah. he's, he's all powered up again. His dad said when he wakes up, he's going to just give it back to him. So we assume that happened, mm-hmm. especially since he's now challenging Hercules again. Which I guess we – I mean – Obviously, there's no real reason to stick to the whole he never gave him his power back before. It's easy to assume that happened between panels, but you'd think, like here, they mm-hmm. would have mentioned it since it's a big deal to lose half your power. It is a big deal, except both times it felt like not that big a deal. Although in this mm-hmm. case, at least there was a consequence. He lost to Hercules, so that was like a problem. But the first one, I can't even remember. Oh, he goes to the future with Tomorrow Man, and it didn't really affect all that much. Right. But anyway... Like and, now, uh, nowadays, if you have Thor's power, that's a year of storytelling or something, <laughs> you know, or a whole new Thor. Um, I like this little jab on page. Not even a jab is more like, but jo- Thor joins the fight and on page 14 and Hercules is like, stay back as a guardian. You, you know, you're not that tough. <laughs> and he's like, hey, <laughs> hey, yes, I am. I was robbed in that last fight. And he's I like, I oh, missed the, okay. the underlying meaning there. Herc is like, I totally beat you last time, and mm-hmm. it wasn't hard. You need mm-hmm. to stay back. Yeah, I think that, that made me. I'm loving that Hercules is lingering so long in our reading here. Because, like, yes. it's not just a one-time thing. He's been This is, like, the third issue in so many weeks. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely playing out a little arc here, and I like it. I forget exactly how it resolves. Apparently I, not yet, because next issue is Zeus. Right. I, I know the next big step that happens with Hercules. I just can't remember if this leads into that or if the, if this like resolves and Hercules is off the table for a short while and then another thing happens. Uh, but we'll see as we get there. I love how Thor is just like, okay, well, um, see ya. <laughs> well, he's probably heard these stories before and, and has had the same problems. So it's like, I'm not going to kick you while you're down. I guess you have to go to hell now. See you later. Yeah. So, pretty fun issue. Great way to start off the episode. Uh, Should we talk about the Tale of Asgard? Yes. So, the Aftermath story, scripted by Stan Lee, penciling Jack Kirby, delineation Vince Coletta, lettering S. Rosen, um, is talking about the second half of the prophecies of Ragnarok. According to Vola, the prophetess, the day of Ragnarok is almost at hand. Ragnarok, the end of the world. 
Even as Vola speaks, the assembled gods witness in their imagination and the PowerPoint presentation being played on the screen, the vast, agonizing moments of Asgard, as she predicts the golden realm being racked by fire, flood, and the flames of battle. You know, he could have said Friday, that he had like a four Fs in a row there. Mm-hmm. Fire, flood, and the flames of fighting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's see. It's just kind of, you know, several large panels of battle. Thor fights the Midgard serpent. We get this panel of him, like, all surrounded by giant snaky tendrils. And it almost looks like the Midgard serpent has a dude on its head. Like, instead of a snake face, it has a dude for a snake head because I see little yeah, arms and yeah, yeah. legs. That is weird. And that's really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's maybe, the villain Scorpion from Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, maybe his scorpion tail just gets so like Crazy metaphysically big. huge. During Ragnarok, that's part of his power. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, the But like everything basically gets destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor and the Midgard Serpent mutually destroy each other. The universe is destroyed, and in the middle of all those silent ruins, Surtur, the merciless fire god, rises out of his prison, um, and he can't live since everything has perished, so he basically burns everything to a celestial cinder, which glows and burns and smolders for untold ages, until eventually the seas slowly return, vast continents arise, and once more give way to newly awakened life. And we see a sort of um, first man, first woman scene in a jung- uh, uh, jungle garden type setting. Um, I forget what the names were for the first man, first woman in Asgardian, or I'm sorry, uh, Norse mythology, but they're there. Um, and yeah, and eventually a new Asgardian civilization develops and we see, you know, a return to the glory. And Odin's like, so yeah, that's what Vola said. What do y'all say? And everyone looks at Loki. <laughs> and Loki's like, this, this isn't going to happen. It's just some crazy old hag. I mean, sh- I mean, Odin, surely you don't believe. And Odin points his finger and says, no, you, Loki. The prophetess cannot utter a falsehood. She sees what she doth see. Ragnarok shall come. And thou it is who art the cause. Ooh. And we'll have to see what happens uh, to Loki and Odin in the next mm-hmm. issue. Because that's where we end. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet. Yeah, just more of the same from last story, but um, I got my Surtur, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. And I think last story I was like, is anybody going to acknowledge the fact that she just outed Loki? And they did, so that was cool. This is less the aftermath and more the second half. Like, we don't actually right, get the aftermath right. to the last page. Right. Um, and then I basically just have questions about Ragnarok, which may or may not be answerable, so I don't know. But uh, that's like all. What? Like, like. So when Ragnarok happens and everything is reborn, it's not the same Asgard, right? It's like a new Asgard, different people. Right. I think it's different versions of the same gods. Like, okay, so this story here establishes the cyclical nature of Norse myth, at least Marvel's interpretation of it. And down the road, Roy Thomas is going to use this in his run in the late 1970s. Um, And... He's going to reveal that Ragnarok has actually already happened at least once. Mm. And that is why Marvel 
Norse characters are Ooh. different from the mythology Norse characters. That's a rad idea. It's pretty great. It's not. It, there's some details of the way he does it that aren't perfect, but it's it, it, at a concept level. It, it, I like it. So then, my other Ragnarok question is: If you are a worshiper of Ragnarok or of Asgardian of Norse mythology, however I'm trying to say this, has Ragnarok happened, or is it going to happen still? That's a good question. Because I don't know, and I didn't think you maybe had the answer to that, but that's just something I thought of when I was reading this. Like, because we have a resident expert, so then I got to wondering yeah. what he thinks about actual. Ragnarok, or whether it's happened. Definitely, or not I've got his uh, his written here. We did. He did talk about in the last um, last issue that Thor versus the Midgard Serpent hadn't been shown. We do see that here, so that's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I love how Loki's line is: "Y'all don't think that I would actually do this, do you?" Um, and you know that yes. everyone present is like, "We totally think you would do this, Loki." Yeah. I mean, we've established in these backstories by now that he's already full on Loki, so. But it goes back to what you said last time. It's like, okay, so this is at some point in the past. Right. This is a conversation. So, like, everyone knows that Loki is going to lead the last day's battle. Like, this isn't new. Yeah. And yet. Yet, in the present, we're, totally we're having. In the present, we're having honor battles with Loki and Thor. Mm hmm. And Odin seems legitimately wondering who's going to come out on top, you know? Like, how is that. How's this working? It's weird. So either... And maybe this is why Loki gets stuck in a tree to keep him from doing Ragnarok. That could be, but that still doesn't excuse Odin's crazy trust in him. There was crazy levels of trust in him. Mm-hmm. Like, if you've got Thor, who you already know is going to save the day. Yes. You've got Loki, whom you already know is going to lead the battle of evil against you. Um, and you've got, like, an honesty match between them. <laughs> right. I mean, we met but- Loki... Um, like you said, him stuck in a tree, meaning Thor put him there for a reason, meaning everybody knew that about him. That's Loki and his tree. And as soon mm-hmm. as he escaped, Odin's like, you're an honest boy, right? Like every story right. since, which was weird. But Odin is weird. What are we going to do? Uh, Odin is not a Odin is not a nice guy. <laughs> Odin is just a bonkers guy. Maybe Zeus next issue will be more sane. <laughs> Yeah, Zeus, no, um, I don't think no, so. <laughs> no, I know. I've already read many a uh, Zeus Marvel comic. He's pretty nuts. Shall we see what our Asgardian advisor has to say? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So if you're new to the show, we have a friend who is a worshiper of the Norse gods, and so he writes in to add his comments on these tales of Asgard. He is Gene Hendricks, a.k.a. Gene, Gene the Podcasting Machine, who uh, is the host of several podcasts, including The Hammer Strikes. He at one point did um, an anime freaks series looking at the Star Blazers anime series. He also has a Class of 1000 role-playing game podcast. So um, he has to say... Again, this prophecy is on the vague side, but gets a good portion of things right. The worlds will be set alight by Surtur, but new life will spring forth of destruction. New gods will take over, and the human race will live in a golden age. Of course, the new race of gods is going to consist of the offspring of the old, led by Baldur, who returns from hell, but I'll overlook that bit for this. Whoa. The cliffhanger here is playing a little fast and loose with the lore. Baldur must have died before Ragnarok. And that was caused by Loki, but that was not the cause. The case. What it was the cause of, however, was the split between Loki and the Aesir, and when Loki truly became the god of evil. I need to reread re- 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 that last bit. So, Baldur must have died before Ragnarok, and that was caused by Loki. 
but Loki was not the cause of Balder dying. So you're saying in this comic that's what happened, but that's not what happened in the lore. Okay. Right? But the split between Loki and the Aesir when Loki truly became the god of evil. Right. That's what happened. Is what... Okay. So Loki kills Balder at some point in the lore, and that's when he becomes, like, really evil after that. Mm -hmm. And no longer just the mistrusted brother. Right. Well, not brother, but something. Not brother. God of mischief or whatever he is. Right. Okay. So I guess to answer your question, has Ragnarok already happened? I'm going to have to say no, because it's supposed to spin out into a new golden age of humanity. Okay. So that's what we're all waiting for. That's what we're all waiting for. Yes. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, good solid comic, I think. A contender possibly for this month's winner, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on to Tales to Astonish, if you're ready. I am. I've got a large red claw. Okay. The- Prince Namor, the Submariner, in a story called To the Death. Imperious Rex. Story by Smiling Stan Lee. Pencils by Grinning Gene Colon. Inks by Dazzling Dick Ayers. And lettering by Snarling Sam Rosen. Wait, and so they- wait, so wait, 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 wait. What? Who's the who's the penciler? Gene Colan. Oh yeah. Not not Adam Austin. Wow, this guy's way better. Yeah. So same guy. I guess he just decided because what he's not working for DC anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly, and if anyone out there does know, I'd love to to hear what it was that allowed Gene Colan to like start using his name. While you're recapping, I want to check the credits uh, just to see if or maybe his DC work did look stop up, now. Look up uh, Gene Colan on Wikipedia and see if they do the answers for oh, us yeah. or something. All right, so they don't give us a caption because they wanted to get right to the story, but basically Krang is like controlling this ultimate sea monster uh, thingy via the puppet master and Submariner doesn't know that and he thinks the big sea monster thing is dumb stronger than him but dumb so he should be able to take it on but as he tries to do that the thing like keeps anticipating him and outsmarting him and outmuscling him and Dorma's there to witness it and get nervous we cut to Krang as he's stroking and loving and petting his new puppet and he tells the puppet master, I don't need you anymore. Get out of here. Because the puppet master's like sniveling in the background and being annoying because he's worried he's going to die. So the puppet master's like, I'm leaving. And he takes off. Um, Dorma also decides to leave because she's like, it doesn't look like Prince Namor is going to win. So I better go back to Atlantis and seek out Lord Vashti and see if he can dispatch some warriors to, to help. Right? Good idea. So meanwhile, uh, Submariner keeps fighting. And at some point, he's read a lot of Aquaman comics, so he summons these electric eels to help him shock the big giant red creature from the Black Lagoon. And that shock actually gets sent back to the puppet that Krang is holding. So he goes, ah, and he drops it, and it gets deformed when it hits the floor. It's got a big old bonk on its head now. And he's like, dang it, and I just got rid of the puppet master too, so he can't fix this puppet or make me a new one. I guess I'll go back to Atlantis and see if I can, you know, take advantage of this craziness before Submariner, like, beats this monster inevitably. Uh, At some point, there's a bunch of humans freaking out over the seismograph, which doesn't really matter much. Uh, Submariner realizes that the creature is now startled and looking bewildered. So he does a Superman and, like, flies around it. And by fly, I mean swim. Swims around it at such a speed that it creates, like, a, uh, 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 you know, whirlpool. And sucks him into this thousand-year-old quicksand pit that was right there. Probably where he came out of in the first place. And so he wins. Yay! And Namor decides to go back home. Meanwhile, Krang 
intercepts Dharma and he says, listen, Submariner's going to die because she doesn't know this, that she doesn't know that he won. Submariner's going to die. But look, this whole time, it was me who was controlling that monster because look, I have proof. Here's a little puppet. And she's like, okay, weird, but okay, I kind of believe you. And he's like, well, I will turn off my control over this monster if you agree to marry me. And so she cries because it's like, well, either I marry Krang and Submariner lives or I don't marry Krang and he dies. So she calls Lord Vashti and she says, I have to marry Krang. And he's like, what? That dude's out of exile already? And then she hangs up on him. Submariner comes home and he's like, I'm in a great mood. Is there anything you have to say? And Vashti's like, uh, Warlord Krang has come out of exile and Lady Dorma has agreed to marry him. And Submariner is so pissed off that he can't speak. And next issue, when a monarch goes mad. Okay, so best I can tell is that Gene Colden was doing a lot of freelance work for DC. Uh-huh. And so he initially came over under the pseudonym to like disguise that he was working for Marvel. Not uncommon. And then just kind of kept the pseudonym, mm. even though he was with Marvel for a long time. Um, eventually, Stanley is going to offer him more money, and he's going to become permanent at Marvel. Okay. Um, his... His last regular work for DC is about a year out from now. But basically, over the course of his first two years at Marvel, there's this gradual shifting of the balances of how much work he's doing for Marvel versus DC. Um, so, yeah, I think his shift here is possibly just because he's comfortable revealing. I, I don't know. It doesn't exactly say. So while we're talking about the art, this is he does two books for us right now. This and Iron Man entails the suspense. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who Twitter who Twittered it, so I don't have to out them or anything. But someone said, I really love his Iron Man, but I hate his namer. So do you feel that way? Or I kind of feel like they're both pretty awesome, personally. I think they're both pretty awesome. Um, I think the difficulty with Namor is that it's just like a big muscle-bound body. Mm-hmm. And both he and early John Buscema have difficulties with just like, you know, I don't know, mm. sometimes making that muscled, you know, abdomen and chest and everything look believable <laughs> okay like the shapes are a little off but as far as like his figure you know uh positions and his face work and the layouts of his pages i really dig it i wonder if maybe they're just annoyed by the water too because sometimes that also annoys me but sometimes the water does get in the way but like i said a lot of yeah. times the water is incidental to the story everyone in atlantis stands on the ground of the water <laughs> well that's what annoys me about it. it's like i wish they would render it a more watery looking atlantis type place sometimes but can we please float sometimes y'all it is water can you reinvent the fact that they all live underwater and make it seem like they do that would be interesting but probably harder so puppet master Mm -hmm. this is exhibit quadruple z and like his powers are not consistent yes he's not even using the puppet he made the puppet and gave it to krang and krang fires him it says leave right so he's like But also, I agree, A, with that. But B, the beginning is like this monster being a better fighter than Namor thought he would be. And is that how it works either? Because doesn't the puppet master just say, okay, I have a sculpture of John Wilson, and then he just compels you to go rob a bank, but he doesn't like imbue you with like karate skills or something. No, he doesn't. Also, You would just get arrested and killed. Basically, I feel like animals are kind of known for attacking quickly. Like that's yeah. something that animals do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too. Like Namor's all like, "Oh, I can't believe he 
dodged and snapped at me so fast. It's like, really? Because a crocodile can do that. Why can't this weird sea monster thing do that? But uh, yeah, it just made it seem like Krang was responsible for every martial art move the thing did. But that's not really what Puppet Master's ever done before. Mm-mm. And I mean, honestly, every other story about like being mentally controlled by something, mm-hmm. the trope tends to be it's less efficient. Yeah. Because it's somebody controlling a body like, you know, as a secondary driver. They're, it's not their body. They're not, you know, being themselves. Like um, even three issues. Ag- we, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just, and when we've seen other people being controlled by the Puppet Master, it's usually like trance-like walking and stuff. Yeah. Literally three issues ago when Hank Pym commented that Namer looked weird and and you know lethargic all of a sudden because he got taken over right in front of them right right and now it's like this thing's just crazy good i don't know but puppet master exits we will see him again soon mm-hmm. um he's gonna be in an x-men story not too far down the road okay uh namor doesn't really use his talking to fish powers very often in this series i was thinking about it because he does it here. he does it i feel like he's done it before in like strange tales or something in like well, I, I the human it, torch like in days. early Fantastic Four stories, he would have like puffer fish and like Scott <laughs> call fish and like you yeah. know, but taxi cab fish. But he, when he was fighting torch, he also turned into a puffer fish and an electric eel. And oh, that's right. So why not just do that? Maybe I don't he know. If I, I don't know powers. what I think about that because I always feel like that's an Aquaman thing. On the other hand, Namor was first, so I guess he could do whatever he wants, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did he do that in the Golden Age? I have no idea. I kind of like this idea of him not relying on it, it not being a regular trope of the story that like Namor is Namor and he's good at being Namor. But if he's in like an unusual situation, he sometimes pulls out nearby fish, but like nothing strange, like electric eels, electric eels are electric eels and they can electrify stuff. That's cool. There was that one fantastic force or at least one fantastic force where we had like all the like made up fish that would do stuff for him. And I'm less enthused with that. Well, Jason Momoa is essentially just Submariner with orange whatever on. So I guess if they can rip Submariner off, he can rip off Aquaman, right? Only fair. He just did it 50 years earlier. (laughs) Um, Once again, feedback to the Puppet Master, too. I don't know if that's a new thing because Namor did that with his brain and now the electric eels are doing it. Right. Uh, 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 I feel like Xavier did that once. Um. I don't and know. It was Namor who did it, and we talked about how Xavier couldn't do it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, X Men haven't fought Puppet Master yet. They're holding their breath. No, they have. Puppet no. Master took over Xavier once. Remember, he had the generic human body, and oh, it's like this God. is an exact copy of Xavier. That's right. Because <laughs> Xavier is generic. Right. Okay. I'm not entirely cool with the behemoth getting caught in quicksand. Well, like, yeah. Seems I'm not a geologist. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that quicksand can exist under the ocean. Seems a little odd. That's why I kind of threw in my own little headcanon that that's where the hole he crawled out of. But I don't know. I can what believe it is. that. I don't know what it is. It can't be quicksand. Maybe it's just like a really sandy cave opening or something. It's just something maybe even man made that they made to hold him. But it says a thousand year old pit. It yeah. could be his thousand year old pit. Could be his thousand year old pit, but they built him in World War II. So, oh yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe they just knew about this place and they put him in there. Otherwise, it's also stuff in the ocean is like notorious for not falling very quickly. So falling and getting caught in the quicksand also seems unlikely. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, I thought it was really I was thinking cool about how Krang didn't even stay exiled for five minutes. No. He basically swam away and swam right back. Right. Ah! They probably should have put him in prison or something. Maybe. Which reminds me, that guy in Thor that we didn't comment on. He's probably going to come back because you just gave him an army of trolls. But that's different. Oh, yeah. Anyway, 
That was weird, too. Just put these people in prison for crying out loud. I liked for five seconds that Dorma seemed awesome because, like, Krang takes out the guard and she immediately picks up the guard's gun and tries to be a badass, but then he just kidnaps her. So, oh, well. It had potential. But I'm good on this if you are. Yes. Oh, I, there's more, isn't there? There's a Hulky. We could just go right to the next issue. No, the Incredible Hulk. They dwell in the depths. Script, Stan Lee, DH, Doctor of Hulkishness. Layouts, Jack Kirby, MH, Master of Hulkability. Art, Bill Everett, BH, Bachelor of Hulkosity. Lettering, Artie Simek, PH, The Pride of Hulkdom. Brooding beneath a shining southwestern moon, a silent figure sits, his clouded brain trying to remember to understand, to pierce the thick, unending veil of darkness which keeps his once brilliant brain a prisoner within his bestial body. Ooh, that sounds like the Hulk, doesn't it? Okay, so he's just laying there, and for the first time ever, it sounds super hulky, and he's just like, Hulk hate humans, Hulk hate world. Everyone hate Hulk, so Hulk hate you back. And as he decides to, like, declare war on humanity, all of a sudden there's a whist thing, and he gets zapped, and suddenly he's in a uh, matter transformer uh, glass case, which he immediately breaks out of, and then this army of weird... Short yellow guys pull up their guns, but this hooded figure says, No, wait, I want him alive. You've met me before, Hulk. Don't you remember? Hulk remembers no one. Hulk doesn't care about anyone. It's like, no, no, seriously, though, we met. My name's Tyrannus. But look how old I am now. I need to be young again. Remember, like that statue? Hulk kind of remembers statue. Uh, yes, well, anyway, there's this thing. It's a... Uh, I don't know, body of water or a bond, a pond or a well or something. And that's what's kept me young, but it's been stolen by someone and it cuts to the someone and the someone is our favorite on the show. The mall man, he has it and he's surrounded by his golem moloid men or whatever. And they have tanks and an army. And one of them comes running up and goes, sir, our spies on Tyrannus have revealed that he has a really big green monster to help him. And Mole Man's like, oh, no, that's the Hulk. Well, that's okay. I've got stuff, too. So we cut back to Tyrannus. I guess the Hulk has agreed to help, but he also (laughs) just ate all their food, and now he wants a nap. So Tyrannus is like, wake up. You have to go beat up Mole Man. He's like, Hulk don't have to do nothing. Hulk tired. Hulk want nap. He's like, oh, yeah? Well, I have a backup plan. I've kidnapped all your best friends, so you'll do what I say, because last time that totally worked. Remember, you almost died working for me because I had your girlfriend. Well, now I not only have your girlfriend, but I have the guy that she was talking to earlier, Rick Jones. And I have the guy Rick was on a plane with last issue, Glenn Talbot. And they're all in prison. And you're going to do what I say. And Hulk's like, I don't even remember these people. And he punches the cage and like they wig out. But just before he can like kill all his friends, they're attacked by the mole man. Because he decided to preemptively attack, I guess. So Hulk doesn't care who he fights. He just wants to fight. So he just starts jumping around, smashing tanks and the weird underground plane saucers they have. They try and freeze him with a freeze ray, but he's the Hulk and the strongest one there is. So then Mole Man sicks his like really outdated looking old school Iron Man, but blue armor with eight arms and two legs to attack the Hulk. And it also comes equipped with a gravity ray, so it keeps shooting him with that. And that actually kind of works and gets him to go onto his knees. But then at the last minute, the Hulk's like, no, I'm not having any of that. And he finds a second wind, and he tackles the big spider Iron Man robot. 
and it splushes into what I'm going to assume is the well, even though that kind of makes no sense, and we can deal with that later. And there's a big room explosion because the robot is not waterproof, and then out of the well comes Bruce Banner, and he's like, it's a miracle. The Hulk is gone. I'm normal again, but where? Why? And for how long? Next issue, the most startling development of all times in the history of times. <laughs> so I, I had a similar thought that you had. This starts out feeling a very classic Hulk. Mm-hmm. Like, not classic in the sense of this is the way it used to be, but classic is in this is the way we've been kind of expecting it to be. Yes, like they finally found his voice. Right. He's sitting in a cave, wanting to be alone, hating everything about the life around him. Uh-huh. And then getting mad at it randomly and standing up like he's going to go fight the earth. Right. Stupid thunder. Now, that um, said, there are some unclassic elements. So this is still like, I don't know what to say about it. But like, for instance, he takes a nap and he doesn't turn back to Banner. That, to me, would be a time because he's relaxed. Right. And then also, it's very unclassic like for him not to freak out that they have Betty. Like, he doesn't even yeah. know her. That's usually that his thing. Weird. So, Although, I mean, early Hulk barely knew what a Betty was. Yeah, but when Tyrannus had Betty last time, he slaved him to almost to death because he refused he like didn't want to fight back because he had Betty, you remember? Oh, that's true. That's true. So there's they're doing something like I think what they're doing is saying like he's just so beast like right now that he can't he doesn't even have a memory, which is not quite classic yet, but it's getting closer. Yeah, they swung the punch on the other way. And there's not quite in the place where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Speaking of this being Betty in the last Tyrannus story, I'm surprised that we don't get as, I mean, not surprised, but I wish we had gotten, that, you know, some lines, something about Betty's memory of being kidnapped by Tyrannus. Yeah, but, you know, Tyrannus, isn't he that guy that can just grab you from wherever? That was his thing in the first story, too, which was kind of weird. He did sweet talk her down there the first oh, time. Oh, yeah. But he says, my, by careful observation, I knew these three had some connection with you. My matter transformer plucked the girl from an army base. And the other two were in that plane that never went anywhere in that Her- Hercules issue. By careful observation, I got the two people who were with you last time we fought and also mustache guy. Right. And then this also makes Betty think that that's not uh, Bruce. So maybe they're trying to back off on that. And this is the excuse. Because Bruce would, I mean, ne- maybe. would never punch her cell. I guess. She's very, or Hulk is very, I can't remember anything, so who cares what you had to say? Mm-hmm. But she says somewhere, maybe I'm maybe I'm just making that up, but I swear she but says somewhere. if the Hulk isn't Bruce Banner, then Bruce must be dead. Is right. That what you're of? Yes, yes, that. Yeah, top of page uh, six. But Rick knows better. He does. He does. Um, but honestly, Hulk and Rick Jones have the most dysfunctional relationship. Mm-hmm. Hulk rarely even remembers what a Rick Jones is. And when he does, doesn't always feel any sort of compassion or affection for him. It's, it's often just like annoyance or anger. And Rick Jones keeps going back for more. This is, you know, Rick, you've got to leave him, sweetie. He is not good for you. The only time he cares about you, Rick, is when you try and leave him for the Avengers. Right. That he's all, ju- which is also very toxic. I mean, uh huh. exactly. And am I forgetting, or has it been like half of forever since we've seen Bruce Banner's face? It's been half of forever. I think it was, I honestly want to think Kirby was still writing. No, maybe. I feel like that's what happened. No. I feel like it was like. The leader. Yeah. When when the Hulk was kidnapped by the leader, he turned into Bruce for a short while during those shenanigans. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So that was, you know. We're in issue what seventy eight, mm-hmm. and we're in issue eighty. 
That was a good six to 12 issues ago. So is this the well or oh, body of water? Do you know what I mean? Um, Because I didn't even notice this till I was summarizing just now. Like it looks exactly like the thing Tyrannus is trying to get, but Mole Man went to them and Mole Man had it at his place. So that doesn't make sense. I don't know. In the original issue, it was just a lake. Yeah. But now it's like a thing with a cement ring. Okay, so look at page seven. Uh, page okay. seven, he's next to a body of water. Yes. And that's what I would have expected to see with the whole Fountain of Youth thing. Yeah, but the well with the ring of, of stones around a around a like pool. Uh-huh. That's weird. I don't know what that is. But that's page four. Or is it a different well? Page I'm going to page four now. Where the mole man's like, look what I have. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's the enchanted water within the well. And this thing magically turns him to Bruce Banner, which could be part of the enchantment or something. We'll find out. I don't know. I guess we will find out. Or now, maybe we won't. Now Bruce Banner's immortal. He's Ra's al Ghul for the next hundred years. <laughs> the most startling developments of all to stagger your senses and dazzle your eyes. Ra's al Ghul. We'll see more of the Hulk as Bruce Banner, as well as meeting one of our newest and most bombastic characters, the man called Boomerang. But nothing about... Oh, look, Bruce Banner fell in the Fountain of Youth. What's going to happen now, kids? Boomerang? Yeah, Boomerang. That's a Spider-Man villain. Right? That's weird. For, first time I saw Boomerang was the Deadly Foes of Spider-Man miniseries. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird how many villains Spider-Man has taken from other people. But yeah. anyway, you don't really think and about it. The best part about early Boomerang stories is, you know what he does not use? A Boomerang? A Boomerang. Oh, my God. We'll see that next time. But yeah. Uh, horrible. Shall I move forward? Let's move backwards. Oh, yeah. Back in this, time. Well, this is really odd. You know, sometimes in life, it's just one week forward, 20 years back. This doesn't happen very much for us. Usually, Fury is like the first book we cover in a show. Well, he is the first in continuity for March 10th, which yes. is the week we're on now. Mm-hmm. And this is um, Incident in Italy. We have Sergeant Fury and the Howlers with their hands raised, uh, surrendering to the Italian military forces. Oh, no. Uh, it's called Incident in Italy. Energetic editing by Stan Lee. Rambunctious writing by Roy Thomas. Um, actionistic? Uh, actionistic art by Dick Ayers. Dynamic delineation by Do- John Tartaglioni. And lethargic lettering by Sam Rosen. So we kind of, uh, oh, we got a little arrow. It's a warm, balmy night over Mussolini's Italy. <laughs> as the hot-blooded howlers decide to drop in, only to find themselves the apparent target of every gun south of the Alps. So strap on your battle helmet and let's go. Okay, so the howlers are parachuting into Italy. And uh, they are shooting and being shot at. Uh, because it's comics and these are all of our main characters, they manage to not get hit even once. They land safely. I guess, I don't know if these are just like Star Wars Doomtroopers working for Italy. In any case, um, they land and Dino Manelli is like, hey, this is my birthplace. Reduced to being Hitler's junior partner in his insane bid for world conquest. Uh, they meet some Italian officers. They surrender. They go to prison. While in prison, they meet a, uh, is he a captain? I think he's a captain. He's got like a uh, long waxed mustache and he immediately takes over the, um, all conversations about possibly escaping because Fury is only a lowly sergeant and he is the captain. Um, let's see. 
Oh, yeah. The uh, howlers get called into one of the officers' tents to, you know, get balled out or interrogated or whatever. And turns out that this guy, Major Carlo, is a um, traitor to the Nazi cause. He is the contact in Italy that Fury was meant to get in touch with. So um, he is going to help them escape with some information about, I don't know, something military. They're going to hijack Mussolini's little treasure. That's right. There's a, there's a treasure. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why there's a treasure, but there's a treasure in like a transportation car. They're going to hijack it and they're going to leave Italy with the treasure so that they like, you know, spoil the Nazis from, you know, some of their wealth or whatever. Um, so basically the Nazis with the help of major, not so Nazis, the howlers with the help of major Carlo are able to escape from the prison. They, um, help the other American prisoners, the captain who begins to start yielding to Fury's leadership because he's a good guy. And although he knows his rank, he also knows that Fury's doing some really awesome stuff. So he doesn't make a big stink out of it. Um, they're, uh, they're Canadian officers, not American. My apologies. Um, and basically halfway through the issue, you kind of feel like the major goal of the story is done. But there are 10 more issues getting out of Italy. Sorry, 10 more pages of getting out of Italy. And along the way, they run into a young woman who helps them get out. She's an Italian woman. Uh, she passes herself off as a boy early on in, the, in their um, encounters. And at the end of the issue, okay, after she's been working with Fury the entire time and hardly seeing Dino Manelli at all, at the end of the issue, Dino Manelli's like, hey, what's your name? And her name is Sophia. And he's like, well, when you, when this is all over, come see me. I'll make you the biggest actress ever because this is actually Sophia Loren, mm -hmm. who, uh, as far as I can tell, didn't do anything with Dean Martin <laughs> as far as her career goes. And was not a member of the Italian resistance or whatever. May or may not have been the Italian resistance. I mean, who knows, uh, right? <laughs> I think I can guess, but. Actually, I did some looking. So Dean Martin didn't have any acting credits until after World War II. Okay. But Dino Manelli is an established actor in mm. World War II. Yeah. So that's weird because he's obviously based on Dean Martin. Right. Um, Sophia Loren is well known you know, to the 1960s American movie audiences, but she had a very well established Italian film career before that. Um, she owed nothing to any men in American Hollywood for her success as an actor. Uh, and by the way, Dean Martin was also born in Ohio, which is not the same as Dino Manelli's claim of being born in Italy and then moving to America uh, at three. Okay. okay, okay. So there are definitely some, some intentional differences then. Okay. But Sophia Loren was born in Rome, so at least there's that. Right. Yeah, she's, she's Italian. <laughs> it's, her. it's funny. You knew they were trying to do a likeness, though, the whole time because every face – on this lady is the exact same expression. Mm -hmm. And it's actually almost creepy because she's just smiling throughout the whole thing, even when there's no reason to be smiling. It's like they had this one picture they were going off of <laughs> or something. Right. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I don't you know, know. If you see pictures of Sophia, she has a very distinctive mouth, mm -hmm. which is one of the big things they've got going for her in these likenesses here. And very distinctive eyes. Mm -hmm. So they get the mouth and the eyes and you can tell that it's supposed to be Sophia Loren, mm. um, who as I think we've mentioned on the show before, is definitely one of Stan Lee's crushes. Like, yeah, well, he mentions her a lot. Get in line over I the guess. course of 1960s comics. We've already heard it a couple of times by now. Well, she was a huge 
um, you know, sex symbol. So that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, heartthrob. I liked at the beginning before we knew what was going on, which, by the way, is a pretty interesting different way of doing a Sergeant Fury story. We didn't know anything about the plot mm-hmm. until he finally makes the contact. Mm-hmm. And neither did Dum Dum Dugan. And Dugan really doesn't like this and really wants to make sure that Fury knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, do you think it's weird that they have an Italian on their team and then they go around making Italian slurs the entire story? Like, at no point does Dean go, excuse me, um, excuse me, that's me you're right. talking about. I don't know. It was just kind of awkward. I would be curious to know how that sort of thing played in real life. Yes. Um, they just I not can, say anything? Yeah, because... I mean, it must be hard. You are fighting your own people and representing a different country now. Right. I don't know. Still. It does feel weird. It does feel weird. It's not like it's as horribly racist as like you know other uh, 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 things they could say about other people. But still, it's just like, what are you guys doing? He's standing right there. <laughs> anyway. Um... So yeah, was it? I don't know if you agree with me. Was it just me, or did the first ten pages feel like they could have been the whole plot? I feel like once again, Roy Thomas is making these longer feeling than they have been. I don't know. This is only our second Roy Thomas one, but yeah, just like the last one, I was like, really? There's ten more pages to go. I don't know if it's Roy Thomas or if I'm just if it's just coincidence. But well, in theory, at least, Dick Ayers is still doing the plotting. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's, it's like well, basically, the whole surrendering to get information about where the gold is. And then the second half of the book is about stealing the gold back from Mussolini so that when they win the war, which apparently we're getting close to winning the war now because Mussolini has all this gold that he's going to steal, you know, run away with just like Saddam and all that stuff. Like we're stealing that back so that he won't have that gold. So haha, tough titties for him. But yeah, it was like too, I think maybe the whole like surrendering thing was just to get on the cover so people would buy it because Nick Fury's surrendering or something. It's it's one of those things where it's like a relatively minor moment in the story, but mm-hmm. it might also be the most interesting moment. So yeah, let's on the cover. It seemed like the part that mattered the least, but also the most. So it was weird, a weird balance, and a, a weird reversal. Is that sometimes in DC during this time you'd have a really, you know, amazing, interesting, what is going on here kind of cover, and it's because the story discussion started with a cover idea. And then they had to build a story around it. Mm-hmm. And the cover moment actually ends up being a very minor element of the story, but it's just there because it's on the cover. Yeah. It's kind of the same, similar effect, but a reverse uh, execution. So the only other thing I have is I like that the Canadian guys um, basically, I don't know if they sacrifice themselves because we never know what happens to them, but they, in order to get the Italians off of the Howling Commandos trail when everybody escapes, they're like, they purposely push their way through the country louder so that they get chased, mm-hmm. which was cool. Cause you know, go Canada, I guess. Like the that. other thing I had is that Sophia actually makes a comment. Cause she's worked with Sergeant Fury and uh, people have been calling her kid this whole time. And he calls her lady. Mm-hmm. And she mentions that uh, she appreciates being called lady instead of kid for a change. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's one of those things about just casual sexism. It's like, and I say casual, not to, to, to put it down, but it's like, the way people are just like offhandedly sexist without even thinking about it. Yep. And you see this in movies and stuff of the day is calling women kid, full grown women, 20, 30 year old women, but we'll call them kid because they're the woman. And uh, I don't know. I imagine that had to be one of the more frustrating aspects of just, you know, like I said, casual sexism. She says she's 16, which would put this comic in, at 1950. So that doesn't really work either. Oh, wow. No. 
She actually and got 16 years old. If you're going to call a person a kid, 16 seems like a reasonable time to do it. Yeah. But she actually started her film career at, at 16. So she wouldn't have been in World War II fighting the Italian. You're right. Guys. You're right. This is definitely off on that. That's okay, though. They're just doing some fun and we're being too picky. But it was interesting. Now, there is one point where they mentioned Sophia's name as a song. Mm. And Dean Martin did have a song called Sophia. Mm. It was one of those, like, you know, sing, love, singing about this one woman that you love kind of songs. Whether or not it was intentionally written to Sophia Loren, I have absolutely zero idea. But he does have a song called Sophia. Yeah, I don't have anything else for this either. It was, it was, it was a, it was all the right. first half that I actually really liked. Yeah. Uh, the second half just, and it just kept going again. Extraneous. I don't know. I, I'm going to keep blaming Roy Thomas, even though that's not fair. Okay. Strange Tales 145, our second round of Nick. Lo, the egg shall hatch. Boy, that seems silly in its drama. Okay. <laughs> so long as S.H.I.E.L.D. endures, who can forget these glory-drenched names? Stan Lee, writer, Jack Kirby, designer, Don Heck, penciler, Don Heck, Mickey DeMeo, inker, Sam Rosen, letterer, Irving Forbush, badge polisher. Okay. S.H.I.E.L.D. badge. Yeah, hopefully. All right, so it opens with them loading a camera inside of a, uh, what do you call those things? LMD, LMD, mm-hmm. Life Model Decoy of Nick Fury. They've got like 12 of them lined up. Apparently, based on last issue and the issue before that, every time Nick goes out, he gets attacked by an egg now. So they're like, hey, what, are we, what should we do? We should make some Nick Fury robots. And when the egg captures that, we'll get it on film and maybe even make one explode, kill the druid. It'll be great. Um, but that doesn't work because all the druid does is destroy the robots. He never actually takes them. He just kills them. And we cut to the druid and he's like, yeah, I think I'm catching on that these are all robots. Because that was like the, fi- the fifth Nick Fury that we just killed. <laughs> so that doesn't <laughs> – this is not working, right, guys? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to challenge him personally and we'll get the shield business over with. We cut to a cool little bit of continuity with Nick interrogating the uh, fixer. They have a tank. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the true serum tank or something like that. And he has to tell him everything. So he's interrogating him like, what do you know about the druid? Nothing. What do you know about them? Nothing. What do you know about this little brain thing we found on you? Nothing. Okay. And then it says, stay tuned for tales of suspense when that'll be followed up on. So let's put a pin in that, kids. But anyway, an egg blows up near somewhere around them. So they all reconnoiter over there. And as they're investigating it, the druid... Uh, his hand just kind of comes out of nowhere and he points at Nick and he says, I challenge you. And um, the new guy, Jasper Sitwell, he happened to come with a uh, infrared gun or something. So he shoots it at the druid and the druid can be seen now. So that was very useful. He and Nick Fury start a fist fight because Nick never turns down a challenge. Um, the druid is wearing some sort of skin coating that makes his like skin like horrible sandpaper or something. So at first Nick is losing because it's hurting his hands to punch him. And the druid is very strong. But ultimately, like, Nick rips his shirt off and wraps his hands in the cloth and then goes to town on him and basically beats the crap out of him. While that's happening, Jasper's thinking to himself, you know, the the druid is bragging about how he's going to take over this place as soon as he beats up Nick, which probably means his soldiers are around here somewhere. So let me jump in my car that I've rigged with this cool uh, gas canister grenade thing and shoot it into the woods because that's probably where they're hiding and he does that and it works um lots of people start coughing but also a lot of the druid guys have vehicles and those just suddenly attack and come out of the woods so the 
the uh, the shield agents start shooting back. Dum Dum's there, you know, attaching bombs to things and being awesome. Um, um, Jasper is doing this cool ninja stuff, jumping through trees and dropping gas on people and and taking a prisoner by machine gun. Basically, um, between Jasper and Dum Dum and the rest of Shield, they round up all the druid druids. They take off the druid's mask and reveal him to be no one they know. He threatens them and says, hi, you still never found my hideout. And Nick's like, who cares? You're not in it. Jasper pats everybody on the back and says, you know, what a great job. Well done. And, you know, Shield's the best and I love working here. And Nick suddenly has like a moment of internal possibly panic about how someday Jasper might replace him and he's getting older. And next issue, the mystery of them. So I've read the Tales of Suspense issue that feels out of this, and I had forgotten that the little brain thing was in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we're prepping for our next recording. I've already read the uh, cap yeah. story, so it's kind of neat to see this here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Dick Ayers, not Dick Ayers, uh, Don Heck is doing the uh, art on this. What did uh-huh. you think of that? Um, I didn't even really notice, so I'm thinking he's um, just doing... Well, it says Jack Kirby designer, though, so I don't know. When you get so many people involved, it makes it harder to see style, I think. Yeah, so Jack Kirby's designer, I guess that's layouts. Don Heck does the pencils. I guess the layouts were too rough for to just ink from. Mm-hmm. But then Mickey DeMeo is doing the inking. So yeah, it still feels relatively Kirby. Yeah, it does, but not. Yeah, but not quite. It doesn't feel like Don Heck, though, at least not based on like Avengers and Iron Man and stuff. But anyway. Agreed, agreed. Well, they wrapped this up fast, didn't they? <laughs> I'm just kind of surprised. Just, just, just Druid just needed a good beating. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder if he might have had a very different life if he hadn't been administered a few more fatal beatings as a child. <laughs> yeah. But isn't this whole, okay, didn't S.H.I.E.L.D. series start? With a bunch of Nick Fury LMDs getting shot at and killed all the time. Yep. So it's like we've come full Hydra. circle. Now yeah. it's now it's them and the Druid who are trying to kill him. So he's just constantly trying to be killed and they have LMDs to solve that problem. I guess that's why they exist, huh? Mm-hmm. Although I think later in the universe, they'll also be smart and they can pass themselves off as him sometimes. So, like, you never know. Oh, if like, actually- have oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because by the time you get to, what is it? Secret Invasion 2008, mm-hmm. Nick Fury isn't Nick Fury. It's an LMD the entire time. Right. So you have no idea when you're talking to Nick or not Nick. Right. I think these guys just walk around, but I don't know. And it says they're – no, it does not say that. I was going to say it's, it says they're invented by Tony Stark, but it says Tony Stark is the only guy who could fit a fully miniaturized TV in Nick Fury's brain cavity. That's what they said. <laughs> So we don't know who so invented the, t- the LMDs, I guess. Well, uh, Shield is Shield is not new, um, right? You know, you wonder what the idea was at the beginning, but at least at this point, Shield has an academy that Sidwell is graduating from. Mm-hmm. So they've been around long enough to have their own training facilities that are putting out graduating classes. Right now, we're going to find out later that Shield's actually been around for a really freaking long time. The fifties, Peggy Carter. Yeah. Which, by the way, I hear she's going to be on. Here's some news: she's going to be on Shield, on Agents of Shield. Peggy Carter. Yeah, next season. So that made me want to really catch up on Agents of Shield real fast because I've never watched it. Okay, I thought they were wrapping that series. I swear I read that somewhere. Peggy Carter on the last season. I believe you. I don't know if it's true, but if it is, I really want to watch that show now. I'm watching the penultimate season right now. Um, What's it called? I'll Agents of Shield, right? 
Yeah. 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 I've seen the first five seasons. I have not seen six or seven. Well, now as far as I knew, seven, which is the current one, was going to be the last. Maybe, maybe she's already filmed it, and she's going to be in the finale or something, and they just announced it. I don't oh, know. I think it was just a rumor. Now that I'm looking at it, that makes me sad. Stupid Twitter, I hate you. Good, Stupid Twitter. Good thing I didn't watch six seasons real fast. <laughs> anyway. So, how does a group become known as them? Is Fixer just saying I didn't know who they were, so I could only use a pronoun? I work for them. Who are they? Is this the first time they've said them? Because I've been saying them since they started, but it's just because I know that's their name. Right. I don't know. I remember that the Captain America series had not called it that. I feel like maybe their first shadowy appearance in S.H.I.E.L.D. was calling them them. It's a horrible name. It's like yeah. it's like who's on first. You know? You're know, you never going to not be confusing with this name. And we're going to see them next time more clearly so we know who they are as part of Marvel history. We can actually stick a name on them. Who? But right now they're just them. Who? Right? Like you mm-hmm. just you just can't them. Who them? Right? Yeah. This just goes on forever. I actually think AIM shows up fairly quickly. A I M. So like them doesn't last very long, this whole them business. No. Anyway. Them. I mean I, I did uh, like I mentioned the, the the thing in Captain America. I do like the intermeshing plots. I like that they're making that more and more of a regular thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool to see that. I mean, even though we didn't like that fixer story, it was neat to see that he's in custody. Like we know what happened to him because mm-hmm. a lot of times you don't know. And then six months later, it's like fixers skipping around and you go, wait, what? How was that story resolved? I can't remember. Did he get arrested? Should he be skipping around? I don't know. He had a little brain in his pocket. But he gets, I guess he gets, uh, uh, I guess, can S.H.I.E.L.D. just incarcerate people and stuff? Or they're just like, he's on loan, maybe? I don't know. And we find out that the Druid's power is actually deadly five o'clock shadow. Yeah. I like that Nick beat him up anyway. That was cool. Yeah. Jasper's proving very useful and very badass. Um, Yeah. I... I honestly have a great affection for the character of Jasper mm-hmm. Sitwell in yeah. his S.H.I.E.L.D. stories. Oh, yeah. Like, he is such just, I don't know. I want to use the term nebbish. I'm not entirely sure that's the right term. But he's just a guy, but turns out to be really, really great at being a guy. He's a very um, well-put-together guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a character that reminds me of him, but there must be some. But like he has ends in Chekhov energy, but like he's better than Chekhov as far as like being good at his job. He's a he's said he was good at fighting, and based on all these ninja moves, he's true about that. He brought gas canisters just in case. He brought a laser gun to reveal uh, the druid being invisible. Um, he just like has it all. He's kind of like a just good all around everything guy mm-hmm. so far, except for the part where he doesn't seem to pick up on sarcasm. Because he and Dum <laughs> he and Dum Dum get into it at one point. I kind of just skipped over that, but he and Dum Dum get into it about like the druid because he brings some photos to Nick, and Dum Dum just keeps dripping with sarcasm of like, you know, congratulations! Oh my God, we never would have thought of that. And he's like, thanks, coming from you, that means a lot. It's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, um, he social cues are not his thing, which maybe another reason I like him is that he like doesn't always realize what's going on in the social circles around it, which was kind of you know. One of my things as a younger person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say. It's something about 12, page 12. Page 12, panel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Oh, oh the, the whole ending note mm-hmm. with Nick Fury wondering if Sidwell's going to be after his job. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking that maybe they were thinking about actually doing that. 
but possibly more likely this would just be a natural thing for Fury to wonder. Mm-hmm. Because he's getting it's older. Like, it's not a story beat, but it's just a character thing. Yeah, I liked it. This is a Nick Fury from twenty year, you know, twenty years later or whatever. So, mm-hmm. although at some point we'll find out that he's magically immortal, but not right now. He's just older and feeling it. All now right. I oh, thought that um, Roy Thomas had a second issue of Doctor Strange. It seems no. Right. However, so I don't know why I wrote down that he did. Um, so just before you get into the synopsis. Um, there's not really going to be a steady writer going forward. You're going to give the credits a second. We're going to have a really cool name show up mm-hmm. in the credits. Um, we're going to see Thomas again a couple of random times. Stanley's going to have another short run down the road because no one else stays with the book. Um, so this, I think, is our first series to lose a steady writer ever since Lee kind of took over everything. All right. So Doctor Strange to catch a magician introducing Mr. Rasputin. Um, because we'll see him again. Eerily edited by Stanley, spookily script by Denny O'Neill. Dun, dun, dun. Demonically drawn by Steve Ditko and laconically lettered by Artie Sumek. Laconically? Laconically. 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 Denny O'Neill just died this month, speaking of comic news, so that's interesting. Yes. Um, all right, but no more for Batman than Doctor Strange. Following his desperate battle in the Twilight Dimension, a wary Doctor Strange has returned to his secluded studio to replenish his power in preparation for his inevitable clash with the Dread Dormammu. But he is soon to find himself locked in mortal combat with a power-hungry madman whose ambition is to dominate the world. Sound familiar? Yes. Okay. It takes place in Europe at first. This Mr. Rasputin guy convinces someone to give him state secrets by turning into a or casting a ghost spell and it scares him and then like there's an officer who's in on it with him and he turns on that guy so basically he's just a big mean jerkhead and he decides to go to america to be more of a big mean jerkhead uh and while he's going around casting spells and stuff dr strange picks up on it because you can't be in his territory and cast magic and not have him notice so he shows up and he says hey you can't be doing this in my town. And Mr. Rasputin's like, oh, man, I want to fight you. And they fight. And Mr. Rasputin's like, ugh, this guy's too powerful. And Dr. Strange is thinking, normally he'd be dead by now, but I'm really tired still from all this really long adventure that's never ending. So Mr. Rasputin's like, well, I have an awesome idea on how to handle you. And he pulls out a gun and just shoots Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange does not whip up a shield in time. He gets shot in the gut. He falls out a window his cape saves him, basically, and he wills his cape to take him to the hospital. So he floats through the window. They put him in, like, triage, and they take care of the bullet. And he's, like, down for the count. He can't get up. And he's like, uh, but you got you got to find this Mr. Rasputin officer because he's going to go around being evil magic. And the, and the policeman's like, well, we can't find him, but don't worry. He won't escape New York's finest. So Dr. Strange is laying there in bed thinking, where would I go? If I was a bad magician, I would go to my own headquarters because I love my headquarters and it's full of magicy goodness. So he turns into his spectral ethereal form and starts to fly over there. Meanwhile, Mr. Rasputin is at Dr. Strange's uh, house and he's hiring a thug to go search the hospitals and stuff and make sure Dr. Strange isn't laying there dying of a gunshot wound. Make sure he's actually dead. So when the guy goes off, Dr. Strange's... uh, uh, ghost form pops in, sees that he was right. He summons his cape while he's doing that. 
the goon does find Doctor Strange's body laying there comatose in the hospital because, remember, his spirit form is running around, and he pulls out a gun, and he's going to kill our hero. Put a pin in that. Um, so Doctor Strange has his cape confront Mr. Rasputin. Uh, Mr. Rasputin pulls out a gun again and tries to shoot the cape, but then finds out, hey, you're just a cape. So then they, I know where you are. You're, you're really in your ethereal form. And they start doing that Ditko ghosty stuff. Uh, and between the cape and his eye of everything, he manages to knock Mr. Rasputin out. He then wraps him in the cloak and takes him to the hospital just in time to see that his own physical body um, instinctively protected him from the goon shooting him. Because I guess if you're going to try and kill Doctor Strange while he's sleeping, the eye will open and attack you. So the dude's in a trance. And Doctor Strange returns to his body, and he does the same thing he did the last group of guys he fought. He lobotomizes them magically by having them forget all about black magic and all their stuff. And then he calls the nurse in to get the police. The police show up. They arrest the guy. And the doctor's like, now you need to get out of here and let this guy get some rest. And Doctor Strange chuckles and agrees. Next month, Dormammu versus Eternity. So shall I tell him what to read up for next time? <laughs> <laughs> so is this the same story or have we decided we're done and this is new stuff? It, I don't know. It doesn't feel as to be continued as it has been. No, this is a, this is, this feels very much like a one-off episode. Last issue felt very much like a one-off episode. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he, he does have one more issue to wrap it all up in. He has, he still has one more thing to do to, to finish that storyline, which is to save the no-named girl. Right. So it's technically still going, I guess. Technically it's still going. And they, they give lip service to that in the opening caption that you read. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's preparing for his inevitable clash with the Dread Dormammu. But it's just like... It uh, really feels like he's given up on that, though. And this wasn't a great issue. No. I mean, just separated from the whole Eternity Saga, this was boring. The only thing I liked about it was him getting shot. I found that kind of interesting. I also thought that was interesting. That's like, my, I have one of two notes, and okay. him getting shot, that's new, mm-hmm. was one of them. Yep. What's the other one? Actually, three. Okay. Uh, Dennis O'Neill. Uh-huh. Yep, sure. He's here, one of his very first comics credits, mm-hmm. working for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we get the first, I think, first use of the term Sanctum Sanctorum. Oh, wow. That's on his, page six. That's his official lair. Right. Which, in for those of you Village. out there, if you don't know, Sanctum Sanctorum is Latin for Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. So, in religious texts, when they're talking about the center of the uh, temple, that is the Sanctum Sanctorum in Latin translations. You know what's weird about that place is like I said this up front in the show. I'm not really familiar a lot with the magic concepts of both Marvel and DC. I tend to just ignore that stuff for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's not that interesting to me. Doctor Strange is okay. Doctor Fate is okay. But whatever. But every time that freaking window in his Sanctum Sanctorium or whatever shows up in the MCU, like the back of my neck hairs raise up. Like it's the coolest it's thing in the cool world. Cool visual, yeah. It's and it's just cool like visual. it's just like comics come to life. It makes me so excited to see it, even though I'm not really a Doctor and Strange the thing guy. Is, I like Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. I liked the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of Doctor Strange. Yeah. But the more comics I read of, and the more I'm just like, okay, well, that's a whole thing then. 
I think magicians just work better as guest stars. Like anytime yeah, I can think possibly. of a, a cool Doctor Strange moment, he's always starring in someone else's book. And it makes sense because it's like he could be doing his weird magic stuff all day long and I don't have to read that, but he could just show up once in a while to help Spider-Man out and that's neat. Or you go to and him to do something. Because I know I'm, it's someone out there in listener land. I'm dogging on their guy. Mm-hmm. Like this is their guy. We all have our things. I'm not super into cosmic stuff either if that helps anybody. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I love the cosmic stuff. The more cosmic we get, I mean, I'm so like, it's going to be such a slow burn, mm-hmm. especially in the era that we're in for the building up of the cosmic stuff. But when we get to the first appearance of Century Four Five Nine, and then Ronan the Accuser, and then the Kree, and then the Captain Marvel series is coming after that, I'm going to be like, yep, yep, yep. And the Captain Marvel series isn't even that good, but I'm just like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm excited that they have the word Eternity in next issue, so that's cool. Yeah. And I enjoyed, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet and I enjoyed Adam Warlock and the Infinity Watch. So sometimes I like Cosmic, but yeah, I just want to be out there. Guy. And it, like, and this stuff is your jam. Mm-hmm. Feel free to write it and, and expound its merits. Cause yeah. while I, I'm not super enthused of liking something and people writing in to say why they didn't like it, I'm very enthused when I don't like something. For people to tell me why they do like it. And I'm like, okay. Because maybe that actually helps me to see what I am missing. There are probably runs that are amazing that we haven't got to yet. Yeah. There must be. Yeah, probably. Because this is all just kind of the sameness. But at some yeah. point, he must build a, a world somewhere. And we've had a handful of good issues. We've had a handful of Dr. Yeah. Strange issues we're like really, really excited about. But Yeah, when he first started. But here we are. Uh, Mr. Uh, like The story of Mr. Rasputin is... Eminently forgettable. I don't even remember what you said about the recap. Um. <laughs> he, he lost and forgot everything. And it's funny because they make him forget everything in the end, but the beginning is introducing Mr. Rasputin like he's going to be the next doctor. Check it out, though. He shows up two more times. Oh, boy. And there are 20 year intervals between every two appearances. Oh, God. He shows up once in the 80s with Cloak and Dagger and once in the 2000s. With the new adventures, probably when Doctor Strange was on the new adventures. So what that means is a little boy read this issue and then 20 years later grew up and wanted to write him. And then a little boy read that issue and grew up 20 years later and wanted to write him. Could be. And I said boy because I'm being sexist because comics are always written by boys. But it's probably true. But yeah. So So what a way to end our show. (laughs) Thanks, Doctor Strange. Fantastic opening. Thanks, Doctor Strange. Uh, Sucks to suck. Anyways, so... Coming at y'all next time, better attitudes towards issues because we have Amazing Spider-Man 37 with the Robot Master and um, a certain important development in an ongoing mystery of Steve Ditko's Spider-Man run. Mm. Then we have the Avengers 28 with the return of Giant Man, only now he has a different name. We have Tales of Suspense 78, Captain America and Nick Fury, Asian of S.H.I.E.L.D. Together at last is the romantic match made in heaven. And the Fantastic Four 51, this man, this monster. Yay. A very distraught thing on the cover. Yeah. That's a really classic cover. Yeah. So, um, why don't you show them where they can find us? They can find us at MakeOursMarvel.com. You can type MakeOursMarvel into all your favorite podcast apps and hopefully it magically appears but also make has links to uh, various rss app feeds and it has links to our social media on facebook and twitter where you can join the fun and conversation 
Um, and lastly, speaking of fun and conversation, you could write us through the website on the form, or you could write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Every so often we do a mailbag episode, read your letters and comment and stuff. So get those in to, you know, tell us what you think or don't think or what we got wrong or right. It's always fun to read letters. Uh, Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. There are links to all of my other shows on Twitter as well. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast about comics and cartoons on the Transformers. All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast about 90s Image Comics. And a uh, Twitter series I am doing on Logan Says Chuck. Um, those are all available on Twitter. And um, I think that's our last thing, which means it's the end of the episode, right? It is. Another week has come and gone. So until next week, or until Dino Minnelli gets kicked off the Howlers, make ours marvel. marvel.